This is the Aspen Public Radio Newscast. I'm your host, Hallie Zander, in for Eleanor Bennett, here with your top stories of the day. With winter storms headed into the region, the Colorado Avalanche Information Center is warning folks to be extra cautious when they head into the backcountry this holiday weekend. Those storms will bring freezing temperatures and one to three feet of snow to Colorado's mountains. Open snow is predicting around 20 inches for Aspen and Snowmass. That's following a very dry December for the region. CAIC Director Ethan Green says those dry conditions have made the existing layers of snow in the backcountry structurally weak, which is not a problem when that snow is at the surface. And that means that this trend of tricky and dangerous avalanche conditions is going to increase. Uh, We're going to see avalanches breaking on more slopes. They're going to be easier for people to trigger and they're going to be much larger and thus uh, much more dangerous. He says the forecast includes high wind events, which move snow around to create smooth, round patches near the tree line, areas you want to avoid. You can check CAIC's website for a full avalanche forecast before heading out. The Roaring Fork School District's board directed staff yesterday to purchase a home to house its superintendent. They were following the recommendations of a community-led superintendent housing task force, which met four times last spring to brainstorm housing solutions for the district leader. The task force gave the board three recommendations for superintendent housing. One, buy an existing house. Two, build a house on district-owned land. Or three, provide assistance as an equity investment. Buying or building a house were the two preferred options, and district staff had been doing research on a purchase since July. The board hopes this will help recruit and retain high-quality senior staff as they launch their search for a new superintendent. This comes after the board decided to sever its contract with its previous superintendent, Dr. Jesus Rodriguez, who purchased a home in Denver, over 200 miles outside the school district, in May 2023. This new home will add to the district's housing inventory of 116 units for current and future staff. In the next week, the town of Carbondale says it will open Community Room 2 at Town Hall to shelter up to 20 newcomers who've been sheltering at the 3rd Street Center. Additionally, the town will open a shelter for 20 newcomers at the Carbondale Community United Methodist Church on 2nd Street. The town has contracted with Recovery Resources to manage both shelters. This comes about two and a half months after the town became aware that roughly 80 migrants, mostly from Venezuela, had been sleeping at the boat ramp at the intersection between Highway 82 and 133. Since November, up to 60 newcomers have been sheltered at the 3rd Street Center as a temporary site while the town sought a long-term housing solution for the winter. It's unclear how many people are still here, but Latino advocacy organization Voces Unidas has registered 175 new arrivals over the past few months. The 3rd Street Center will also be closing its shelter on January 19th. Colorado's legislative session kicked off Wednesday, and the first round of bills have already been filed by lawmakers. For one, Representative Elizabeth Velasco, a Democrat from Glenwood Springs, and Senator Perry Will, a Republican from Newcastle, have co-sponsored a bill to make it easier for rural communities to apply for wildlife mitigation grants. Another of Velasco's bills would allow students at public schools to wear and display their religious and cultural regalia at graduation ceremonies. This comes after Grand Valley High School in Parachute told a senior last year that she couldn't wear a stole with the Mexican and American flags on it. Local group Voces Unidas Action Fund says it supports the bill and says it's put together a coalition of current and former students to testify to the bill's benefits. 
The Eagle County, Rio Blanco, and Garfield County Sheriff's Offices are working together to locate Henry David Twitchell, a resident of Elgebel who was last seen in Carbondale on Thursday, January 4th. Twitchell's vehicle was reported in a slide-off accident that day on Highway 13 in Rio Blanco County around 6 p.m., but officers say Twitchell was not present when they arrived on the scene. The Rio Blanco Sheriff's Office discovered a single set of footprints leading from the vehicle to the highway and says it's been extensively searching the area. Anyone with any information should contact the Eagle, Garfield, and Rio Blanco Sheriff's Offices. The Roaring Fork Transportation Authority has announced Kurt Ravenschlag is its finalist for the CEO position. That's after Dan Blankenship announced his retirement from the role last month, after 34 years with the authority. Ravenschlag has been with RAFTA since 2018 and currently serves as its chief operating officer. Before he came to the Valley, he was the general manager of Fort Collins Public Transit Provider. He'll officially take over from Blankenship in September to ensure a smooth transition, though Blankenship is expected to stay with RAFTA through the end of the year in a supporting role. In a statement, Ravenschlag expressed his gratitude for the opportunity and says he looks forward to learning more about the role in the months to come. In statewide news, Governor Jared Polis gave his annual State of the State address to a joint session of the state legislature yesterday. KUNC's Lucas Brady-Woods reports two of his top policy priorities are housing and transportation. Like many lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, Polis is most concerned about Colorado's lack of affordable housing. He thinks housing centered around public transit routes is an important part of solving the problem. He painted a picture of what life would look like with accessible, reliable trains or buses. You know, imagine leaving your home and heading to the train stop or bus station just a few blocks away. Maybe you walk or ride your bike. You don't have to worry about whether you have enough gas or if the roads are icy. Polis backed a failed housing bill last year that would have changed zoning rules to increase housing density, especially around transit hubs. Polis also wants lawmakers to come up with legislation around public safety, education, tax relief, and behavioral health care. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol. Denver is spending $15 million a month on aid for newcomers arriving from the U.S. southern border. Now Denverites Kyle Harris reports Mayor Mike Johnston is looking for places to cut spending in the city's budget to make up for the financial gap. So right now, if the city is going to continue to serve migrants at the rate it is, it will take 10 percent of the city's budget. Johnston has said he doesn't want to do that. And at certain points has said he may even scale back the migrant response Denver has, which is one of the most robust in the country. This week, we learned that he has asked every department in the city to start looking for ways to cut money. Denverites Kyle Harris. Governor Jared Polis verbally issued a disaster declaration yesterday authorizing use of the Colorado National Guard to make sure people can access resources during this weekend's winter cold snap. Temperatures are projected to drop into single digits with wind chills below zero around the state. Polis says no one should freeze to death for lack of shelter. The current warming centers and shelters are set up in Greeley, Fort Collins, Thornton, Denver, and Jefferson County. In regional news, around 5% of adults in the United States struggle with seasonal affective disorder every year, and people living at higher latitudes face a greater risk. Sophia Blankensop reports for the Mountain West News Bureau. Seasonal affective disorder, commonly known as seasonal depression, affects more than 12 million people nationwide. Yet those living farther north in the United States may experience symptoms more than others. 
most people at a high latitude are going to have a few symptoms, maybe sleep a bit more, have a bit less energy, mood might dip a little bit, but not to the level of clinical depression. That's Dr. Kelly Rowan, professor of psychology at the University of Vermont, speaking in an interview with Sideline in 2022. She says that symptoms of seasonal affective disorder occur on a continuum with different levels of severity, adding that cognitive behavioral therapy, antidepressants, and light therapy have all proven to be effective treatments. If you believe you may have seasonal affective disorder, reach out to your physician with your symptoms and talk about potential treatments. Sophia Blankensop, Boise State Public Radio News. New research shows that smoke from wildfires can leave behind toxic chemicals on common household materials. But as the Mountain West News Bureau's Murphy Woodhouse reports, there are things you can do to protect your family. Polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons are a mouthful to say, but they're also carcinogens and associated with other serious health issues. Researchers at Portland State University found that the chemicals can accumulate in materials like cotton and glass after wildfire smoke exposure and remain for weeks. We're at levels of exposure that I think people should be paying attention to. That's Elliot Gall, an associate professor in Portland State's Mechanical and Materials Engineering Department. He and his co-author also found that simple cleaning practices can substantially reduce risk after smoke exposures. Clean materials that you come in contact with regularly, so I would recommend laundering sheets, laundering clothing that you wear frequently. He says you should also be concerned about things that come into contact with your mouth, like cups, glasses, and other dishware. Gall also recommended taking measures to prevent as much smoke from getting into your home as possible, like closing windows, and exhaust vents. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Murphy Woodhouse. The Aspen Public Radio Newscast is produced by our news team, which includes Kaya Williams, Eleanor Bennett, Caroline Yanis, and me, Hallie Zander. You can listen to the show every weekday morning on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.